to the Cyber Show. I'm Cherry Sigmund, your host, Cybersecurity Authority entrepreneur and consultant. Tonight we have a very special guest coming back to you live from the DC area and the Pentagon is Marion Williams. Good evening, Marion. Hey, Cherry. How are you doing? Doing great. It's been a very interesting and busy day with a lot of interesting conversations. So I'd like to continue that here this evening, if that's okay, and talk with you about some enterprise architecture, cybersecurity, remote workforce and uh, IT shifts risk management and, and things that have changed the business model about different types of value propositions in the workforce and how businesses evaluate what's important. Does that sound good? That sounds great. All right, well, let's dive right in. What are your thoughts on the, all of that? Pick, pick anywhere to start. Well, the big thing I, 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 I see is that we as a, as a society, there are certain groups of people, uh, you know, we see a lot of stuff that's happening. See a lot of groups of people who haven't been acknowledged, and it's not just talking about racial groups, but talking about people who do work uh, in this COVID nineteen environment that are adding a lot more value. Mm -hmm. The value proposition is a lot different, and they're they're actually more vital now. And I'm hoping that this this time is actually going to force or force HR departments to start thinking about it. Because normally, when you think about art, you think about IT. When you think about, I'm sorry, when you think about HR, one of the things you think about is, okay, what is the value of this, organ, this position to the organization? And to some extent, within, a, within an organizational framework, you think about what is the value of this person in that position? That's kind of the way, that's a high level way of thinking through these things. But if you really think about it, the value offered by, say, a person who is a administrative assistant, uh, you know, Pretty much, you think this person kind of does various different things, with the exception of executive assistants, because they do a lot more stuff. Um, but you, you think about this person is joining an organization, they're doing work, but and, and you have COVID made everything different. You now have to go outside of the organization. Uh, teams are just uh, are distributed some in some places globally, but at least regionally, right? They're not they're not they're not in the office. They're not home. You have all these things that are going on. And now you got a person who knows all, who knows the organization, and is for me is the glue that keeps everything together. Mm -hmm. Well, this person is working from home, but this person has now had to learn any number of other technologies. Like she's, they probably have to learn about VPN, which is definitely not something the average person is going to know about. Right. They've got to know about. They've got to learn about the job itself, which they probably knew before. But now, how you how you coordinate work and what people are doing and how they how they um, what what values they communicate is a whole different um, set of questions. Mm -hmm. And so, as you start to look at, if you think of if you if you think of the compensation that a person receives an output, the value the the, the variables that impact that output have started to change. And so mm -hmm. it's going to it, it, it's going to and it should uh, spark a conversation about how much value is it because now this person not only just has their previous experiences going on, they've now got access using these other tools mm -hmm. and for how you're courting workflow among knowledge workers, right? Well, how does that work? Uh, as you do more of that and they get more comfortable with that, that is a whole different skill set. Mm -hmm. and one that is extremely valuable and not fully appreciated. So do you have, your question becomes like, do you have a whole separate 
classification label category that you actually say well these per these people are in, mm-hmm. or do you act do you do you augment their their current thing with some additional pay? There's some training they've had to go through. Um, they've had to become a lot more comfortable online. Mm-hmm. So these are all kinds of things that facilitate work that haven't been thought of yet. And so this is, and that's just one category. You know, IT, IT is somewhat comfortable around working from home and doing distributed mm-hmm. stuff and, and that kind of thing. But other, other people, say accountants, or say the people who work for the, the general accounting office, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you have, a lot of, you have a lot of analysts who work for GAO who look at all this other stuff that's going on, right? They, 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 they have a very knowledge intensive job. They take a lot of information in and their primary output is reports. Mm-hmm. Well, you can do reports anywhere you have a, a word processor and an internet connection. True. But how you capture that information, how do you share it among people within say the NCR, the National Capital Region? Mm-hmm. Uh, these are all kinds of questions that are really, really large, and they loom. They're gonna, they're gonna, in, they're gonna change things. Like, how do you recruit? Because think about what's happening to children. I'm, I'm thinking of kids in particular who are, say, high school. But if you're in high school mm-hmm. and you're learning from home, and you graduate, and now you go to college, and now you're learning, from, you're learning from other people, right? Mm-hmm. It's gonna it's gonna have severe implications about how comfortable people are gonna be doing online training. It's going to it's going to cause some shifts in terms of how much inter, more interactive. Think about we we talked last week uh, I believe it was talking about five G, all of these yeah. new services, right? Enabled by gigabit internet connections, mm-hmm. allow you to do all kinds of things. Well, one of the things that I was kind of really amazed by is when I was a kid, if I wanted to do a book report, I'd tell my dad, and he'd come home, he'd have dinner, and then we'd go pile the car, and he'd take my sister and I, because my sister loved to read, and we'd go to the library. Right. Okay, now that model had changed. Now it's go downstairs, get on the internet, and find information. Okay, that's another skill, because it's not so much just typing in a search term, but figuring out, is the search term Relevant, accurate. Um, does it does it does it make sense? What is the bias of the person who's putting the information out? These are all kinds of questions that you didn't have to. That's another kind of um, uh, thought process you have to think about. Mm-hmm. Well, think about this now. If you've got a kid who's now at home and you've got uh, augmented reality, mm, AR, yes, yes, you have a person who has a set of goggles that they can wear that tracks them in real time. 5G can provide all that content. So instead of, so instead of reading about the, uh, you do a book report on dinosaurs, instead of doing that, you might go into a room, put those goggles on, and now you're seeing dinosaurs and you're interacting with dinosaurs. Well, that's a whole lot more fun than just reading about them. Well, that's a whole different set of skills. And so as, as people come in in the next, I'd say the next 10 to 20 years to organizations, the organizations are going to, they're going to change, they're going to shift their baseline, right? Of what they want people to know. Why? Because now I got people, you know, more people coming in. I'm expecting people 
to uh, be aware of these technologies, have possibly used them. Mm -hmm. And so I'm expecting that. Well, that, you know, we, we, there's some times we talked about the digital divide. Well, if you've never had a computer, you know, when I went to public school, uh, I, had a, I had a computer when I, I was four years old. I asked for a computer. For Christmas, I got, my, my birthday's in November, so I got it, I got it uh, in, 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 in Christmas of 80. It's a Commodore 64. I oh, love yes. that thing. Old school. I loved it. I loved that. That's how I learned the program. That got me started. On your well, Commodore 64. It did. So think about this. When I went to public school, there were a lot of other kids I was around who didn't have computers at home. So I already had a, I was already ahead because the computers already, they were already doing things like helping me grow my vocabulary and helping me with math and helping me with science and doing various different other things. Well, that was something that's happening. Well, if you look in 1980, 20 years in 2000, what was the main, what was the main, what was the main line expectation? Kids are going to graduate college. Mm -hmm. They're going to know how to use Word, create a PowerPoint presentation, how to use uh, Excel, at least some basic stuff. And they're also going to know how to uh, type up word processing. When I got to college my freshman year, my mom and dad had bought me a, um, they bought me a, uh, a brother uh, typewriter. Mm. My first semester, they said, all, they, they passed a rule that said all assignments must be word processed. Well, think about what that did to the amount of computer literacy. Why? Because corporate America was saying, we're expecting that college graduates are going to come in knowing some very basic skills. They also, you know, to add to that, now you got it on the internet. You know, I mean, it, you know, funny, funny thing that happened uh, when I graduated from college, my dad, uh, he handed me a pack of stamps, you know, and, and some envelopes. I was like, Dad, what's this? I think you told me this story before. Yeah, really good. Did. Go ahead. Yeah. So he, he gave me stamps and envelopes. And I'm like, Dad, what's, what's going on? Why, am I, why are you giving me this? He said, because you're on your own now. You're going to pay your own bills. So... I, I want you to have stamps in an envelope. And I'm, I'm looking at him like he's crazy. <laughs> the expectation that I had was I would go online and sign up for bill pay, yeah. which 20 years ago was a novel thing. <laughs> so once, and, and I, I, I found out my mom, she had been doing that she, because she paid the bills. She already loaned bill pay. Mm. So at this point, that showed a difference in the, in the generations. Mm -hmm. But the expectation of a, com a company is that you are aware of these societal trends and that any kind of training they give you is going to be an adjunct, it's gonna be an augment of what you already know, mm -hmm. right? So about this time you start seeing, uh, you know, people coming up with applications that just had a browser on. Right, they were comparatively simple to what's not, what's available now, but you could do all this stuff. Well, these are all kinds of things that have shifted, and COVID nineteen is a shift because I can I can almost guarantee you in two decades, 
decades, what, 10 years, yeah, two decades from now, we're gonna see technology to do these things are gonna, they're, they're gonna become easier. Mm-hmm. 5G is already in deployment now. Mm-hmm. More and more people are, you, are gonna be doing that, so what's gonna happen? You're gonna have all this extra bandwidth and you're gonna be able to send all this other, and you'll be able to create all this other content that people engage with, okay? So that means that all this new content and people engaging in different and new and different ways are gonna create massive opportunities, not just for things like an education, but how you deliver training. Mm-hmm. Where, where training is delivered, how it's delivered. Uh, you may not necessarily have a bunch of people who are uh, in your HR department. You may say, well, okay, I'm willing to outsource that as a service. Mm-hmm. Pay somebody, because there, there are already companies that do that now. Mm-hmm. So you can do all these kind of things. And so you, you work into everything as a service. And it's service, they're empowering the individual to do these things. Well, these are all kinds of things that have not even been thought of. Why? Technology, technological um, obsolescence is one, right? Cost is another. Mm-hmm. But when you have a, when you have a, um, when I was in, when I took a course in organizational behavior, they talked about the CPELs, the competitive, political, economic, legal, technical, and social cultural impacts. When any of those variables are impacted it will change how society functions it will change the value proposition offered by certain services it will change what is expected of business it will also change to some extent how people interact with each other but all these things happen because of what because things become affordable for the average person when i was in college you know, I was in I was in college in the nineties. No one had cell phones, and 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 I remember there were some people who had them, but they were huge, mm-hmm. you know, and they weren't web enabled. You know, they were just they were just this big box that you, you had the box on your on your, <laughs> your pack. Bag phones, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it was it was really it was really expensive. Now you've got kids running around with iPhones. What does that mean? Well, if I'm a if I'm a um, if I'm a company, I can I can create all I can create apps that can be accessed over the phone, which change the value proposition that I offer. Mm-hmm. So instead of having to do something that I'm not even thinking of, I can create a whole line of content. I can interact with people in different ways, and thereby I can interact and create whole new business models behind that. Mm-hmm. These are all. And see how how architecture plays a role in that is figuring out well how are you going to do that, you know whether you put whether you're talking about cloud or AI or you're talking about machine learning or you're talking about five G. All these are technologies, but the technologies don't they don't they don't evolve or they don't exist outside a needed um, a needed function. I think we had already talked about the fact that the pornography wasn't um, available. The internet would not have had the same level of, of trajectory in terms of its development. Why? Because it required to develop these high-end, these, these very fast internet connections. It, you had to have enough people who were willing to pay for something mm-hmm. that would subsidize its development. So what happened? Part of the part of what happened was the people who were who were organizing 
pornography, right? Some of the larger companies, they were the ones who were playing around with JavaScript and other kinds of things to figure out, well, how can I get all this content across a small medium? Mm -hmm. I want to get this content to people, but I don't want to wait for it to launch because loading times, you know, most of your, your, your younger listeners may not even remember. But oh, yeah, the digital natives. <laughs> yes. They will not remember the dial-up sounds and, and how long it took to get on the internet and, you know, you having to wait and stuff. and The circle that just kept going on and on and on forever. Yeah, the modem sounds. That. Yeah. So because they don't remember that, they don't remember that companies had an incentive and companies were willing to pay people large amounts of money to go and develop content, namely pornography, so that they could actually get access to this stuff and it would, they could minimize load times. Mm -hmm. Well, as you start doing that, now people started to subsidize because, you know, there was a huge number of, of telecoms, of telecommunication players that literally went out of business. In around 2001, 2002, 2003, they literally just, they went kaput. So the banks had all these, these uh, telecoms and they, all, they had all this fiber. All this fiber was in the ground, all the, underwater. I mean, they had all this stuff. Yeah, dark said, fiber. We don't have, we don't have a need for this, but we don't, more, more importantly, we want money. We don't care about all this fiber. But what did they do? They made it available. So other people acquired it for pennies on the dollar. So they got it off the books. And what happened? Now corporate America says, you know what? We can actually use this to develop all kinds of speedy applications for things like payroll and timekeeping and doing this other stuff, any, any kind of other stuff that we need so we can minimize the number of people. So you see a lot of development in remote working uh, kind of apps. Mm -hmm. Dial-up was, you know, you, you dialing into your infrastructure was, was, was something that came up. So now you have things you can just feed into this. You can, you can go anywhere. Mm -hmm. You also start to see man-in-the-middle attacks, other kinds of cyber attacks that were happening at the same time. Why? Exactly. You had all of these different people in geographically distributed locations, and they were now putting company data at risk. And these are all kinds of things that I, I would have never thought of, but it's because of all of those things, things we talked about, those CPELs, right? Those, as you start to change those, those variables, it has a, uh, it has a, 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 it's a dependency. The dependency is how things change in society in response to that. Because you never, you, I don't know about you, but I never thought I'd have a car with Wi-Fi. Or even think about, just recently, I'm looking at, um, and when you got when you get the chance, I, I, I actually I'll, I'll show you my new deck. I've actually got some. I've been playing around with the deck, and I've just about finished. The only thing I got now to do now is add a, uh, a grill. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the grills I looked at had a Wi-Fi on it. Oh, get out! A Wi-Fi on your grill? I saw that That's right. Slick. So it, you literally could just set it and forget it, and it would send you a text message when it was time to <laughs> when it was time to come and change the stuff, right? Talk about the Internet of Things, the IoT. Yes. Wow. But think about think about uh, your car, right? You you drive your car and your car has GPS. Well, they can already get right now. Uh, if you say, "Well, I didn't do something," and you're you know, you're 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 being accused of a crime, they can get the records of your, if your car has Wi-Fi and your your car has uh, GPS. Mm -hmm. 
your car is already sending and receiving signals. It's also keeping track of where you've gone. So with a court order, they can actually get that. Well, all of these are things that no one even thought of when this was when these technologies were developed. And yeah, the e-discovery so, is much different these days. Yeah, it's just changing over time, but e-discovery in, in particular. And, and as a result of the changes that have occurred in, in things over time, it has also made dramatic changes and shifts in terms of what is possible. And as a result of what's possible, what means you, what you've done is you've changed what value, what, what, what ways are there, what ways exist for you to create value? Mm -hmm. And as you start to change that, you start to think about what business models that can be enabled by that to support that value proposition. Mm -hmm. It was so interesting. I was, uh, I was just on, I was just uh, driving along, I think it was yesterday, the day before, and I was listening to the radio in the car and McDonald's was talking about, download our app. What you can do is order and pay in the app and then pay for it and then pick it up in the drive-thru. Think about that. Mickey D's. Mickey D's. Well, think, that technology didn't exist five years ago. No, it didn't. So now they have a way for you to literally say, well, okay, I'm in, let's say, for example, I'm, I'm turning into McDonald's parking lot. All I have to do is order. Or maybe you don't even order. Maybe you do something like you're at the house and you order you order the food, you pay for it, then you get in your car and you drive around to the McDonald's, you're good in line. And by the time you get in line, you just say, hey, I've already picked up this. You go up to the second line, the second uh, window, you pick up your food. So by the time you've actually gotten to there, you now have you have an entire meal that's ready and waiting for you. And less personal contact, which is important in times of COVID-19 and any other exactly. pandemic, right? And because less, less, contact. Contact, less contact because there's no money in being exchanged. Mm -hmm. I like that. All, that all, those are, all those are services that are just paying. So you have a credit card services exactly, and it's paying your, um, paying your bill. These are all kinds of things that are different ways of looking at stuff. So your virtual uh, sizzle service, mm -hmm. right? What is, what is important for, we had talked about this, what is important from your perspective in terms of delivering a, 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 board, a board of directors uh, presentation? Mm -hmm. They can get the presentation anywhere. What they're paying for is your ability to research, your ability to highlight um, key, key drivers of the business, your ability to bring to, bring to bear things that are happening. And then I remember from your, from your, um, your, your service propositions, value service organization, you were talking about having that feed into various different levels of the organization. So mm -hmm. now the board people get it, the executives get it, the technical management staff gets it, and then you actually work down the line. Well, as you start to do those things, you essentially, you start to really be a, a coordinating hub. Well, to do those kinds of things, it means thinking about technology, it means thinking about what is needed, and so you could create value by giving uh, all kinds of different uh, reports on technologies and then drawing the board's attention to the impact of those technologies on the business and almost acting, almost doing like a forecasting capability. So you say, well, okay, you tell me what, what you want to know about. I do the research on it, but I also add stuff that talks about how is it affecting your industry or how is it affecting your, um, how is it affecting 
the organization itself? You know, yeah. are there going to be large expenditures required? Are there going to be, are there, is this going to change your, your, your IT, um, the amount of risk that you, you have to undertake? And are those things going to be something you're willing to accept? Yeah, and I would also add you know, industry trends across verticals. Exactly. We talked about that as well. But all those things happen, and there are a bunch of, they're, they're, um, there are a number of different variables that if you did, if you looked at those kinds of things, you could make those kind of determinations. And that's what to me is so valuable. Your value proposition is I can help to coordinate the work. I can also help to make you aware of where these things are in your organization and to externally evaluate the risk that these technologies pose to your organization. These are all kinds of things that happen. Where I would come in is looking at what are you trying to do? What is your as is? What are you, where are you currently, how are you currently situated? But how does your strategy, what is your strategy? What is your as is? Where are the gaps? Gap analysis to figure out what that is. And then how do you, transition to something else. Now, that can be something like going to the, going to the cloud or going to using, using AWS for their computing store capabilities, right? Mm -hmm. you have all those kind of things, but all these are things that you do that are slightly different from the traditional, okay, I'm gonna hire a person to come in to do this stuff. And, 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 you, may, and you may be uh, in a position where you have to say, well, I need to evaluate the quality of people to do that kind of a role. Mm -hmm. So that may be your value proposition may be, I give you research that's backed by, you know, industry research that's, that's in, in, that has information about what people are doing, both in, in, your, in your organization and across your verticals. So those kinds of things. And then also look at things like, if you have large scale organizations and they're trying to do a merger, how do you, how, somebody has to assess what is the implications of that merger going to have on the technology footprint? How many people do you need to support that new technology footprint? Because you may be saying, well, okay, I, can, I, I may have to let somebody, some people go because of duplication. But if I automate certain things, how, how does the value proposition change, right? Yeah. It's, not just about, it's not just about severing headcount. Cutting headcount, it's a very, that's a very low-level analysis. Uh, but yeah. that doesn't give you this larger footprint or this larger view of the organization. This new combined organization may have some integration challenges that may require uh, new, types of, new types of organizations, new types of organizational forms. Uh, it may, and, and depending upon what the, uh, what, what the analysis shows, it may be better to have some far-flung uh, organizational units that kind of, for example, deal with innovation, for example. Mm -hmm. be completely separate they do their own thing and then you help them to figure out well how they're going to integrate these pieces into the, the parent organization but all of those are all kinds of things that formerly were different right these are all kinds of these, these organizational forms have been going back at least to the 1800s right going back to um oh god going back to mit and and and, and sloan Sloan School mm -hmm. of, of, of Business at MIT is named for Albert Sloan, who was part of, I think it was General Motors. Um, but all of those things happen. They've been thinking of how do you deal with large-scale integration problems? And to some extent, management allows you to think through those challenges. But the technology piece of how that all works is something that hasn't been thought of yet. And so as you start to think through these kinds of things, that's how you uh, come up with 
not just the way of, okay, I can, you know, I come in, I, I collect a check, I do an assessment, that can be done. But your value proposition is, wide, is much wider in that you can help the executives think through the larger scale of questions that they haven't thought of yet. And that's why critical thinking skills are important and, and very much part of that value proposition that we we're talking, talking about earlier in yep. today. Namely, uh, namely um, one of the big tools you're talking about is things like Venn diagrams. Mm -hmm. where, where do you have overlap? What is, what is represented by that overlap? And then also, uh, how do you, once you figure out what those things are, how do you address those kind of concerns? And that is the application of those, those ideas is something that ultimately at the end of the day once you get through an idea of dealing with that one organization you can start to scale those ideas so that you can actually see how that applies to industry verticals so mm -hmm. whether it's pharmaceuticals or banking or uh, telecom these are all kinds of things but you need to have a, a decent understanding of technologies to be able to make those decisions And you know, uh, the, the, you were on something a little bit earlier today that I actually I had to miss because I had a conflict with a meeting, but they were, they were talking about relational capital in particular and networks. And I know you and I have had this conversation many times over the past few years about the relational gotta, capital. We got to mine, your, we gotta mine your, uh, your, your roller decks. You got you a, a lot of contacts, a lot of people. We need to mind mine map it. that, eh? Mm -hmm. So you want to talk anything about that uh, tonight if we have time? Uh, yeah, um, the big thing is, Value is created, the 21st century has enabled all kinds of different ways of creating value. Mm -hmm. And one of the most challenging things about this is because everybody, corporations have gotten a bad rap about trying to outsource everything. And deservedly so, they have tried to outsource everything. But the problem is if you look at the, the hyper competition that is happening, a lot of this hyper competition is happening because during the 90s, when BPR came into vogue, they just took an axe to everybody. Mm -hmm. So they supposedly cut out the dead wood, but in the process, they cut out dead wood, but they also cut out a lot of people who were really the glue of their, their operation. And those people went out and started companies and competed against them. Mm -hmm. right? Right. So, so the problem is you can do a lot of things with people, you know. How do you harness that creativity, right? The, mm -hmm. the, the, prevailing, the prevailing thought process is there's only some people who have the talent to do really large scale, uh, kind of um, intellectually challenging, rigorous kinds of, of thinking that you need to be able to function in this environment. I actually contend that that actually is probably not true. Why do you and say that, Mary? I would say that it's not true because some of the best insights I've gotten came from people who didn't go to college. They understood, I'm just thinking back to the example I, I, I talked about earlier about the lady who uh, was in the office and started giving me, you know, giving me tips about how do you present your, how do you present your work? You know, this person likes uh, a binder with these kind of tabs and this person doesn't care, but you need, you need to, fluff up this, that, those kinds of things actually helped me to be a better consultant. Mm -hmm. The content of what I was saying was the same. It was a presentation that was different, okay? 
that might seem like a very trivial example, but in every organization, there's always somebody who's at the low low end of the, uh, of the dominance hierarchy, right? They're they're always they're the bottom of the organization, but they actually understand what's going on. You know, if you're if you're a four star general and you're at the Pentagon, and you got somebody in Iraq who's a, who's the second lieutenant, they know more about what's on the ground than the person in the Pentagon. I guarantee that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so. These are all kinds of things that, you know, the thought is, okay, I, I, as, I, as I gain more stature and more status, I get to think about things at a higher level. And that's, that's, that's uh, competence according to hierarchy, right? Mm. Yes, there is some, there, there's something to be said about having this, and I'm not trying to talk out of both sides of my mouth. I'm saying, yes, you, can, you, you, do, you do learn things over time, okay? And you, and you go through certain things you have. But I can tell you from my own personal experience, I remember the first job I ever, um, the first, the first, uh, uh, first interview I ever had, professional interview, was for McKinsey and Company, the consulting firm. Okay, I hadn't taken a professional development course at the time. I was just like, hey, they have really good food. I'm hungry. I'm a college student. Let's go. <laughs> So I didn't know that, yes, you, they're evaluating you from the time you walk in the door mm-hmm. to the time you actually leave. They are, you're constantly being evaluated. Now, I knew something about what they did. I knew they were consulting firm. I didn't know they were one of the best in the world and all this kind of stuff. I didn't know that. So that was what I learned, right? Big fail. I get into a professional development course, and they say, well, you need to Research a company and tell them what your what your thoughts are and how you can contribute. Me being overly analytical and somewhat uh, green, I decided to go into interview with uh, Enterprise Rent-A-Car, the largest hire the, the largest company that hires college graduates in the United States. And I failed there, but for a different reason. What happened? They said, what do you know about our company? And what I had done was I went to their, um, I went to the, went to the, uh, the college, the, they had a, we, had, we had a college office that, you know, get, you know career, career office. And uh, I went there and I read all of their annual reports going back five years. And this is, they, pretty much, they didn't put a lot of stuff online, so I couldn't really go and get their stuff from online. But I looked at, I did a lot of, I did a lot of digging. And they said, well, well, what do you know about us? I said, well, you know, most people think that you are a car rental company. But that is only one way that you actually have revenue. You make, a, you make almost 30% of your revenues from selling your cars. The average age of selling them is 2.2 years. So you have extremely important relationships with your, with, with your uh, vendors, namely you know, the car companies. You have, uh, you have a logistics management function where you're moving cars consistently around the country. And you, and you also have a large number of need for people to rent people cars. Now, as you, as you come in through that management development program, you come up, you'll eventually own, you'll be in charge of a branch. Now, you're evaluated according, and I went on this stuff, and I actually started talking about strategy. And I remember at the time, look, the guy, the guy had a look of fear in his eyes. And I'm like, wait a minute, I'm just asking, you know, 
questions. I'm like, okay, well, this is what I see here. This is what I see here. Da, 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 da. And, I, and, I, and I looked at, okay, just, just had a new inventory management system. And your IT is, you know, and I'm sitting here talking about this. I didn't get the job. And I went back to my, one of my teachers and I said, hey, she said, well, tell me what you did. So I told her. And she told me, she said, I, I told you to go after this. Okay, most students don't go into that much detail. Most people don't even know what the company does. But you went in trying to sound like the executive. And that was not, so she said, you know, turn it back so that you're somewhat aware and are comfortable with uh, making people, you know, doing this. You do not go into, they wanted someone, they wanted a grunt. She said, I hate to tell you this, so I'm gonna tell you who this person was, but see, they wanted a grunt. They want somebody who could, they could train, to sit behind a computer, uh, to rent a person a car, uh, to do some low-level functions, you know, as they get them ready to, to do that. Yeah. You're talking about somebody who's in a head office somewhere. Yes. And that was not what they were expecting. Because that's what I would expect of a person who had been out in the workforce for a while and was coming in interviewing for a much higher job. Both those experiences taught me something. First, different organizations want different things. They value different things in people. Mm -hmm. If I had done that same thing for a McKinsey company, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation. I wouldn't have met you. Yeah, yeah we wouldn't, you wouldn't have met me because most of the people who go to McKinsey, they spend a couple years at McKinsey and then they go to Harvard, they go to Stanford, they go other places, mm -hmm. and then they, go, they, they get put on a, a much higher trajectory in, in society. Um, but it was actually very good that I didn't do that, A, because I wasn't ready. There were lots of social things I had to learn. There were lots of things I had to do. Just you know, some, Sometimes you don't learn anything until you actually just bust your butt. Mm. So I, agree. I wasn't ready for that at that time. But one of the things I also learned about that was you have to read the situation to do that. Now, when I, how that applies to me now is I now know how much to get, you know, don't, don't go into, you know, don't go in guns blazing and give everything that you know. First of all, because it's not the time for it sometimes. You give enough so people are comfortable with you. And then over time, as they trust you more, then you open up. But how this relates to what we were just talking about is mm -hmm. you're always going to need to have people. There are always people who have these kind of skills and insights based upon where they are that are going to be different. Because by the time a person gets to an executive level, there's so many people filtering the information to them. They don't know. They, 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 they know something of what's going on but the people close to work actually know what's going on so mm -hmm. how you develop people how you train them how do you get them to thinking about what are the challenges those kind of things i think most people you supposedly get those as you move to more senior levels in the organization but i believe with some with some with some scaffolding um, you could train people at much earlier points in their organization, points in their organ in the organization, their career path, to mm -hmm. think those things through. So understanding things like how do you mind map something, how do you uh, how do you analyze data, how do you make 
determinations based on data. Those are skills that I learned the basis of when I was an undergrad. But at the end of the day, I applied those skills in, the, in any number of organizations. I've been around the federal space uh, since I've actually, just before I graduated uh, graduate school. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of different things that have happened and you can do all these things. But if you don't, and then there's been some research on if you don't give certain people an opportunity to share those and have those have those people ultimately shunted into some type of development program mm -hmm. if you don't do that you can take your best and brightest people and you can burn them out because i can tell you right now the hardest jobs i've ever had were jobs that were considered people considered to be very simple i couldn't do them I just like, oh, how does this work? And that's a whole different conversation. So if you took me and put me in a job, I can think of the hardest job I ever had was working McDonald's. Because of my brain will not shut off. My brain is there, there it, it's there. It's 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 constantly moving. I know. Uh, <laughs> and it's always making connections and I'm seeing things and and that is to put me in, in that kind of situation would have been a waste had I stayed there. But doing what I'm doing now, where I analyze architectures and I go in and sometimes they don't know what they want and I go in and I try to put some, 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 some um, I put some parameters on, I make some stuff up and I say, hey, this is what I'm thinking about. These are the assumptions I'm making. That is a much better use of my, my talents and the organization's time, in this case, the army. But it's not something that you don't get to those kind of things unless you, A, have gone to college and graduate school and had some experiences working toward that. If I had, you know, most people, you know, they go to grad school because they want to make more money. I knew, mo I knew more money was coming as a, as a function of that, but I really just wanted to do work that, was in, that I enjoyed. If you got to work yeah. for uh, 30, 40 plus years, you better like what you do. I totally agree with that. And you have so, to be in your element. Mm. Yeah. And, and that's, for me, I enjoy that. I enjoy coming up with models because I think in models. So if I didn't understand what was there, I wouldn't make those kind of determinations. But I know for me, I would find doing certain things very challenging. Now, some of that was, okay, you graduate college, you got to grow up. Everybody has to do that. And everybody has strengths and weaknesses in areas. Mine was, I had to learn how to not so much not do the work. I think the, 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 the knowledge that I had, I think, because I've done an extensive amounts of reading, as you know, mm -hmm. uh, it's not so much the information that I had was bad. It was, first, organizations don't expect people at very junior levels to understand some of the things I did. Mm -hmm. But they also don't expect, they're, they're, they're still hierarchy games, you know. People don't want to take smart people and put them in, in the right roles, right? Part of me going to graduate school was like, okay, most of them, there'll be a lot more people who are going to pay me more money mm -hmm. to be able to give them information that I already knew at undergrad. But I wanted to work in things that actually allowed me to do that and to have the freedom to do those things. Mm -hmm. and that's not you. something 
that a lot of people do. And I think a lot of kids, a lot of people, a lot of people particularly, uh, I would say a lot of people who are just out of school, a lot of people, I was very fortunate in that I got put into things that I was good at mm-hmm. and I kind of found it. Um, but a lot of people struggle their entire careers doing things that they're, they're suboptimally good at because they're not put into what their, what their talents are. I know for me, if you put me in a room and said, okay, I have to go to, I have to be in a, a social situation and I have to do this. I could do it in limited amounts. I'm an introvert. But if you had me do that every day, it would, it would drive me insane. You'd be miserable. I know. I know you. Yeah. Because I need, I need time to, I need time to, re, to, to react and to refresh and, and to refresh myself. And so part of the value proposition that I bring is I know a lot of stuff and I see how a lot of things are connected and I think in systems. Mm-hmm. So understanding those things, the world, unfortunately, or I say fortunately, the world has started to put me in roles that that is actually needed. And unfortunately, those roles tend to be more senior. So as you start to get into doing those things, you ultimately can, can be successful. But as it relates to our conversation about human resource practices, I think that organizations need to do a better job of soliciting input and trying to develop people at various stages, earlier stages in the career. Because if I had gone into something like that, uh, I think I'd have been more successful. So for example, I'm, you know, as you know, I'm working for, uh, I've gotten a job offer from NSA. Yes. And awesome. So working for NSA is like, oh wow, I get to be around the largest collection of introverts in the world. <laughs> I'm excited. Totally in your element there. Right. But that but also but the other thing is NSA by nature what it does requires us it, 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 it tends to recruit a certain type of person. Yes. And as a result of recruiting people who have certain types of skill sets and temperaments and uh, knowledge base and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get to you get to you get to see where people can get put into to development programs early on in their career, so that you can actually start to develop the skill set. Because if you have you can you can take a person who doesn't know anything. Like for example, in 2012, I knew very little about cloud, but I, I kept seeing it come up. So I said I need to learn about this. So I started reading about cloud, starting with NIST and then going on to other kind of uh, uh, documents. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, I think there was some, you gave me some stuff about mm-hmm. the, uh, the power grid, the smart grid, that kind of stuff. It was architecture stuff. You gave me that. Yeah. And I remember reading that and I was like, wait a minute. All <laughs> oh, this is very interesting. How are these two connected? You're excited. I remember. And I was like, oh, wow, this is great. But this is, but this was looking at those kinds of things. Now, a lot of people would not necessarily do that kind of work or do that kind of thing and say, well, I'm not getting paid for that. But the, in, the interesting thing is, when you look at people who are, uh, who do this kind of work, uh, they're more likely to be more excited about seeing those connections. And as I see these things now, one of the things I remember and that I, uh, it's kind of like, you know, uh, I forget, what is it? Uh, all your, all your, uh, something of virtues, all your, uh, 
all your bad things are virtues, you know. Um, so you can you can get the value out of a person in any number of ways and build commitment to an organization through realizing what they have to offer and how they how what they have to offer can be developed in different ways. And I think that needs to happen much shorter. And it's, as a result of COVID, the, the skill sets to collaborate, both the skill sets and the technology are available to collaborate and making those things available to a larger swath of the, of the working population can be used to facilitate getting more people into doing that. Because I can tell you, as a person with ADHD, if you give me something that's boring, I will get through it, but I won't be as productive. Right. But if you give me something that actually I enjoy and I can see that there's some value in, I can actually say, well, okay, I know something about cloud. I know something about architecture. I know something about blockchain. I know something about um, AI and machine learning. Well, what I'll start to do in my head, I'll start to try to weave a connecting line between those. Mm-hmm. Well, all that stuff says, well, okay, how are you doing business processes today? And how are these technologies going to change how you do it in the future? Those are higher level skills. And those also are skills that make uh, the general population doesn't have. Because as you know, generally speaking, uh, enterprise architects do not go work. They don't hunt for work very long. No, not at all. No, it's got it. And as I've gotten more senior, the space between uh, architecture uh, jobs, it used to be measured in months. Then it got down to a month. Then it got down to weeks. And at times it's gotten down to days. Mm-hmm. Literally like, okay, I put a resume up and three hours later, somebody's calling me for a job. I mean, it's gotten those kinds of things. But at the same time, I learned, every time I go somewhere, I'm always learning. I'm always being able to do it. And that's part of the reason I get paid the way I do. Mm-hmm. But also, it also means that the organizations that help or organizations that are working, uh, they, are, they are losing a lot of their talent, quote, unquote. That's a constant uh, refrain about contracts. Like, oh, they come in and they work for a while and then they go out. Well, part of the reason that they go out is because they actually are more valuable because now they develop skills, particularly also in understanding, understanding organization dynamics. Mm-hmm. I had to take a course in organization development before I finished college. And I'm like, oh my God, I see all this stuff. And I'm like, this organization is sick. <laughs> but you know that because like, okay, we, we talked about what, or, what organizational cultures are and how, and it's like, oh wow. So that you know, some of the stuff, you, you yourself have to know, you have to know yourself as, a, as an individual. Uh, and then there's some places that will fit better than others. The Pentagon is a, is, a, is a very interesting place. It really is. Because some people fit in that really, really well. And some people, it's like, it's like you know, cats and dogs. It's just you know, oil and water. They're, they're constantly in conflict. And, uh, and that's because depending on where you work in the Pentagon, the work can be extremely, it's a pressure cooker. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then again, it's also very interesting because there's always something going on. Absolutely. It's always an opportunity to learn. And challenging. And it's always challenging. And I grew a lot professionally being there. So it gets you, 
you know, there were trade-offs. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade those, with, with the exception of maybe the last time I was there. I wouldn't <laughs> trade uh, any of those ex experiences for anything because I learned so much. Some of yeah, which I, hear I still use today. I, I mean, technology-wise, I, 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 I knew some of the same stuff. But what I really got out of it was understanding how things actually get done. You know. Well, I'll tell you, the National Security Agency is lucky to have you coming on board there soon, Mary. I just can't believe it because you're, you're flipping genius. And I would, I'd like to ask you, it's a great segue, what would you tell a college uh, freshman now, you know, just graduated high school recently and is about to go to my alma mater, in fact? Oh, what would you wow. tell just uh, for the audience, for every, every, everyone in the class of 2020 who just graduated high school and is going into their, their freshman year of college, what would your advice to them be? Since we're talking a lot about career and education tonight. So, uh, uh, the first thing I would say is first, always be a lifelong learner. Okay. Meaning the information you learn in college, think of it, and, and this, this, this broadly applies to language, but think of it as the information you learn, say, I don't see this, how this applies to the real world. Okay. Some of that stuff doesn't apply to the real world. Okay. But a lot of it, is the building blocks for other stuff. And as you gain more experience, you'll start to see those building blocks show up in different ways. So I can think of, you know, when I was in college, I took a course in budget and fiscal management and was talking about how the government, you know, uh, how it funds different things and, and got into monetary policy. And was, at the time I was like, this is interesting, it was an interesting course, but I remember thinking like, okay, why am I doing this? Yeah. Then you go into Pentagon, and they're talking about UFERS and they're talking about, uh, you know, fund accounts and they're talking about it. And I'm sitting there like, wow, all the information that class talked about, sink, sunk costs and that kind of stuff, business case analysis. I mean, all those things I used, but Later. I didn't necessarily use them in the way that the course presented the information. Mm -hmm. So think of the information as building blocks or... Okay. Think of it more like uh, alphabets. Okay, How do you your mean experience. The hmm? How do you mean the alphabet for college freshmen? Okay, if you think of if you think of an, a college freshman, you're coming out of high school, so now mm -hmm. you're going to get blasted with a bunch of information that some of which will not seem applicable to you. Mm -hmm. You may take a humanities course. You're going to take some courses in science. You're going to take some you can take some math courses. Whether you take STEM stuff or not, you're going to take these things. I said, well, wait a minute, why, why if I want to be a, a social worker, why do I have to take biology? Well, I can look at what I do now and I can say direct correlates between how you organize your, your processes and the structure and how biological systems are, you know, how they're done. Okay, that's, a, that's maybe it's not something you may see every day, but you need to have some understanding of college is not supposed to be only a job preparation. It's not, you're not supposed to just get a, a, a credential. You're supposed to be getting a base of knowledge from which you can build. Mm -hmm. I can say with almost complete certainty that there's not there's not been any course that I've had, even some of the even like art history. Actually, my art history course in college got me a job because um, I was able. To, I had a, a conversation about uh, 15th century art that I had. This lady, um, this painting was on on her um, her desk, and I made a point. I made a point to make, make mention of it. And we had a conversation, and that set the basis for me getting a job working for as a consultant to DC police. Um, but these were, these were things that I, I'd, I'd see that again. So 
I would say learn as much as you can. The other thing I would say is stay away from drugs. And I say that, I say that not only just because drugs are bad for you, um, but I say that because you don't know where you're going to go in life. Uh, And I can tell you, this kind of relates to another point, watch your social media. Okay. Mm. People get put, I've seen people lose jobs, potential Mm. jobs, Mm. where they, they, they saw somebody on social media and they put a bunch of stuff up, drugs, alcohol, just just living a wild lifestyle. And whether that's whether that's right or not is immaterial. It happened. And that stuff doesn't go away. Mm-hmm. It really doesn't. Um, I you know I have to go tomorrow actually to back to NSA to do another polygraph because they couldn't they gotta redo it. So right. part of the question they asked me at multiple stages, have you ever done drugs? No. Can people verify that you've never done that? Yep. I never thought to do that. Part of that is because I, the first, when I was in college, the first uh, benefit analysis I ever did was a decision to uh, do marijuana. And once I find out what all the stuff that, all the things that could happen, uh, no. I decided I didn't want to do that. But even more importantly, uh, even as people start to legalize, uh, these things it causes other problems that you don't even re- you don't realize. Mm. You know, if you ever you know if you ever been around people who've smoked a lot of marijuana, they have really hard time with motivation. And I can get into the medical reasons of why that is, but essentially marijuana disturbs your dopamine system. The dopamine works with serotonin to even out your mood. So if you not if, you, if your mood is not there, you're you're, you're going to be hungry when you, when you finish eating. It's going to make you eat. Okay, and it's also going to cause differences in terms of you'll be more likely to be depressed and some other things. Not to mention the fact that the, the marijuana that's, that's out now is much stronger uh, than it has been ever. So I wouldn't do that. Lastly, I'd say uh, major in something that has some real world uh, applicability and intern. So when I say that, Everybody doesn't know when I when I was an undergrad, I didn't major in uh, technical field. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't find that out that I wanted to do that until I got out. And then I struggled like hell when I was in graduate school because <laughs> they wanted to do all this stuff really really fast, and and I had no life. Um, but at the same time, uh, I learned a lot of stuff that was very applicable to what I do now. Um, and some of the stuff I learned was not stuff I could have even I could have anticipated, like the like art history class. Um, or the ability to, the ability, I would say, to write was key. To, mm-hmm. to, to be able to take some information that you don't really understand and read it and then be able to communicate some idea about what's going on in writing. That is, that I think is the, the true mark of a college graduate is your ability to do that. And to the extent that you can do that, you will find all kinds of jobs open up to you. Trust me, I'm 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 an, I'm an enterprise architect, and I do I'm a, I'm a technology person, but I do more writing than I do anything else. Mm-hmm. And so think about those kind of things, and then try to work toward uh, figuring out what you you did. You know, I mean, I minored in economics. Do I want to sit there and, and, and crunch? You know, if I do lateral curves all day? No, I didn't want to do that. Lateral mm-hmm. curves are talking about taxes, um, but. 
I yeah. wanted to have a broad-based education. And that meant that no matter what happened, there are lots of things that I can do, independent of technology, because I can, I can see those building blocks in other things that I do. So I, can, I have a lot more flexibility now, particularly as I've completed graduate school and been in my career. So there's, I would say just continue to don't do drugs. Okay. Um, do something that, that has some, some real world applicability. You know, if you're talking about underwater basketball, that's probably not going to get it. But don't necessarily worry about not knowing um, what is going on. And nobody, I mean, I didn't really find out what I really enjoyed doing until I was out of graduate school. Mm. But I had taken enough courses along the way uh, to know what I didn't want to do. And I right. also knew uh, that I could learn most anything. So that's something that you have to really prepare for. Because the, the jobs that are on the market right now in five years, or actually I think, I think the stats now are actually about three years, they haven't been created yet. So you oh, don't yeah. even know what jobs are going to happen. My, my job didn't exist uh, formally until 1996 when they passed a law that said that Congress will have enterprise architectures in federal agencies. That's called Clean Cohen Act. Until they passed that, it, the work had been done, but it hadn't been formalized. So that's what I did. Um, but that's, that, that's, that would be my, my advice. All right, that was great advice. Well, thanks so much, Marion. I appreciate it. Thanks for your time tonight. Um, thanks for everybody stopping by the Cyber Show, and we'll catch you again on the next episode. Thanks again, Marion. Thank Signing you. Off for now. Cheers. Good night. Good night.